Word of God today comes to us from Revelation 19, 1 through 7. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me there. Uh, if not, the words will also be on the screen for you to follow along. Revelation 19, 1 through 7. Hear now this word from the Lord. After I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has con- uh, condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne and cried, Amen. Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you servants who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad. And give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and its hearing. So we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Will you bow with me for a word of prayer? Oh, great God. We are here in this space by your mercy. We receive your word by your mercy. And here and now we open our hearts to receive the truths that you have for us, each and every one of us. Thank you, God, that you're here with us. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who gave his life for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you. Good to see you. Uh, My name's Zach Anderson. I'm the director of Connecting Ministries here at Covenant Methodist Church, and uh, I get the honor of getting to preach to you this morning. If you've been tracking with us the last few weeks, you'll know that we're in the middle of a series called The Gardener. And uh, and I want to tell you where this came from. A few months back, there was a group of us that were meeting together, and we were praying and talking and asking God, God, what is it that you want us to preach about? Uh, for the first series after we move into this new building that you're giving us. And, um, and we heard very clearly from God uh, that he wanted us to talk about him. Just give an introduction to who God is. Uh, so we've been talking over the last few weeks about different characteristics of God. And, uh, and this morning, uh, I get to talk about one that's maybe a little less uh, talked about, a little less commonly known, and that is Jesus as the bridegroom of the church. Jesus as the groom of his bride, the church, all of us. Uh, And so before I jump into this uh, topic about a heavenly marriage, a heavenly wedding between Christ and his church, I want to dispel a few myths that might be in the room. Uh, And the first one is this. If you're not married and you're in this room, uh, the myth would be that this message isn't for you. because it is. Uh, this message is not about earthly marriage. Um, it's not a 
um, a guide for earthly marriage, uh, although it has principles that can be applied that way. But this message is a message of uh, love and commitment that Jesus has for his church. And his church is everyone throughout all of history who has ever put their faith and trust in him as Lord and Savior. So if you fall into that category or think you might ever fall into that category of trusting in Jesus, this message is for you. Um, Next, I want to address the tainted view that all of us have of marriage. Uh, And you might not think that you have a tainted view of marriage, but I'll prove it to you. Um, So we have these opinions of a spectrum of what marriage is like, from good all the way to bad, right? And what's everyone's picture of a perfect earthly marriage? Right, it's, it's Dario and Anna Vargas. <laughs> but look at this face they're making, right? So, so it's not, right? There's no perfect earthly marriage. Even the couples who have been married for 60 plus years, right? They're on their porch every morning drinking coffee, enjoying one another's company. That marriage is full of brokenness, right? They've manipulated one another. They've lied to each other. They've hurt each other. It's a broken marriage. By God's grace, they've made it that long, but still broken. On the other end of the spectrum, you have marriages that have ended in pain, divorce, infidelity, brokenness, right? And it seems like maybe this is way worse than this, but when we're looking at the perfect heavenly marriage between Christ and his church, uh, what I really just don't want us to do is compare our own marriages, our own encounters with different marriages of our parents or friends or other family members to this heavenly wedding that we're going to talk about. So we're going to talk about, uh, I'm going to mention three types of love that you can find in a marriage today. The first one, uh, I'll just mention it briefly, it's sacrificial love. I won't go too deep into it because last week Jason taught, uh, the whole message was about the sacrificial love that Jesus has for his church, right? He came to earth, uh, he lived as a man, a perfect life, he had no sin, And then he gave himself up for us, sacrificing his very life, taking on our sin, our guilt, our shame, so that we didn't have to die. And then he rose from the grave three days later, conquering sin and death forever. Sacrificial love. The next type of love is unconditional love, right? And in this perfect marriage between Christ and his church, unconditional love means that he loves you perfectly even when you cheat on him. Even when you cheat on him. And the third type of love that we'll talk about is intimate love. Intimate love is characterized as being a place of safety, right, of vulnerability. We're safe in our Savior's arms. Everything is laid bare. He knows you perfectly. He knows you wholly, fully, all your sin, all your dirt, and he loves you anyway. Kids think they know about love. And uh, last week... I was riding in the car with my brother, Grayson. He's seven years old. If you don't know me, I'm the oldest of 10 kids. And um, so I have no kids of my own yet, uh, but I have just as much kid experience as at least all the dads in the room, right? Moms, you got me, but uh, dads, I'll compete with you for knowledge. Um, And I'm riding in the car with my seven-year-old brother, Grayson, and he says to me, Um, he's a chatterbox, and he's just going, 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 and he says, you know, I've only had one crush 
on a girl and uh, perked up my ear a little bit. Never heard anything like this from him before, and so um, color me intrigued. He goes on, and uh, he says, yeah, you know, I had this crush on this girl. Um, she was from our old church, and they go here now. Oh, by the way, please do not tell him that I told you this story. <laughs> I will get in trouble. Um, he said, she goes to our old church, and so I'd go to church, and I would see her there and talk to her. Um, but we don't go to that church anymore, and and I don't see her, and um, yeah, I don't, I don't have a crush on her anymore. And then he says what every child growing up in the 21st century would say as to why he doesn't have a crush on her anymore. And he says, yeah, I don't have a crush on her anymore because I don't have her address. <laughs> I said, boy, were you born in the 50s? What are you going to write her letters? <laughs> and... Uh, so I'm very interested as to what type of girl would pique this seven-year-old brother of mine's interest. Uh, and so I'm wondering if I know her. And so I say, Grayson, what's, uh, what's her name? And he got real quiet. And uh, he didn't say anything for a little bit. And so I, uh, I began to grow worried that maybe thinking about this lost love of his was too painful to even utter her name. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I look at him in the rearview mirror, and I'm like, hey, buddy, it's okay. You don't, have to, you don't have to tell me what her name is. And he finally speaks, and he says, oh, I'm just trying to remember what her name is. <laughs> Kids think they know about love. They don't. Um, so here we are in Revelation, right? And we have this beautiful love story. Uh, I'm going to paint a picture for you that John paints for us in this chapter, right? There's in the throne room. It's beautiful. It's glorious. It's awesome. God is seated on his heavenly throne, high above every other name. This is the end of the story, right? Every person who's ever put their faith in Jesus is there. And they're singing songs of praise. And the multitude of heavenly hosts, the angels, they're all singing along with them. And we have this wedding feast, right? It says, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And this wedding, this marriage between Christ and you, his church, uh, is defined by a commitment to love one another perfectly forever. To love each other intimately. To be safe. To be vulnerable. The other two types of love, though, they're not present at this end of the story. They're from the beginning of the story where we are now, in the middle, the sacrificial and the unconditional love that God has for you even when you cheat on him. That's in the middle of the story where we are. And there's this line at the end of the passage we read that said, his bride has made herself ready. So I want to talk about that for a second. Um, because making yourself ready for a wedding, uh, it can be challenging. Anyone who's ever witnessed a bride getting ready for a wedding, and I'm not talking about my wife, because otherwise I would get in trouble. It's a tough season, right? 
is a tons and tons of preparation of details. It's stressful. And that's just for an earthly wedding. Right? So if the pressure to make yourself ready for an eternal, perfect wedding to Jesus Christ is on you, that's pretty heavy. So I want to turn to Romans chapter 5 to talk about this making ready. I love hearing those pages turn. And your digital pages are nice too. Romans chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. It'll be on the screen as well. <clears throat> it says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I want to tell you this about being made ready, right? Because it, it does say, uh, in the language in Revelation is active language. It says his bride has made herself ready. But I want to tell you that making yourself ready doesn't mean cleaning up your life, right? It doesn't mean conquering your sin problems that you have and making yourself beautiful on your own account to meet with Jesus. Making ready is something, making yourself ready is something that you do by surrendering. I'll say this about unconditional love and about transformation being made ready. Anytime someone comes into contact with unconditional love, they come away different. Anytime you cheat on God and you receive his unconditional love, you come away different. That's just what happens. You do not stay the same. In fact, sometimes... Coming into contact with unconditional love can bring about a physical transformation. And I see your eyes. You don't believe me on this either. I will also prove this to you. Tiana, will you please put the picture on the screen? Physical transformation, unconditional love. You laugh, but it's true, right? It's What is the line in... In the song, in the movie, it's a tale as old as time, right? So I got news for all you Beauty and the Beast lovers. This is plagiarism. They stole this from the Bible. But that's okay. Uh, it's a good story. It's worth stealing. This is what happens in this story. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this already, shame on you. At the beginning of the movie, the Beast, you can take the picture off the screen, it's distracting. The beast, he's ugly, he's hairy, he's mean, right? He puts Belle in prison. He's rude. Even when, uh, even when he begins to engage in a relationship with her and tries to talk to her and get to know her, he's still 
kind of gross, right? Remember the scene where he's eating that oatmeal with her and it just gets all in his face and he's not, uh, he, he's, he's an ugly person. He's a beast. But somehow, it doesn't make sense, it does not make sense, but somehow this beautiful princess begins to fall in love with this beast. It doesn't make sense. Praise God, it does not make sense that God has fallen in love with us. That he has. And so Belle begins to fall for this beast. And as the last rose petal is falling from the rose, she gives him the all-powerful magic Disney kiss. And he is transformed. Right? She doesn't love him after he becomes a beautiful, handsome, excuse me, handsome prince. She loves him while he's still a beast. And that transforms him. And so this is what God does for us. But I'll tell you, the transformation is painful, right? Paul says the word suffering. He describes this path of transformation, suffering that leads to perseverance, which leads to character, which leads to hope. It's painful. Our suffering can look like a lot of different things. Suffering can look like grief. Suffering can look like the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, a painful breakup, a painful divorce. But also suffering can look like your sin. Suffering can be when you cheat on God. And so here we have this wonderful, wonderful gift from God. I'll read this verse again. And longtime Christians in the room, or anyone, whether you fall on the spectrum of being a Christian for years and years, or you're not a Christian yet, I want you to act like this is your first time to hear this. Kids, listen to this. God, I pray that this verse would impact us in a new way. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for you after you cleaned up your porn addiction. He didn't die for you after you have moved past your tendency to like a little too much alcohol or your tendency to lie, to steal, to cheat. He died for you before all of that. He loved you before all of that. While you were still in the midst of your filth and your sin. Unconditional love. But you probably know that surrendering to and receiving unconditional love after you cheat on God and he still loves you perfectly anyways, it's hard. Anyone who's ever been forgiven after they hurt someone knows what I'm talking about. <clears throat> A couple years ago, my wife and I were engaged, um, and I don't know what I was doing. I was a fool, and I was messing around with a pepper shaker. So I, I don't understand it to this day how I could be so foolish messing around with a pepper shaker and I get some pepper in her eyes. And I'm talking like her eyes were not normal until like 24 hours later and it caused great pain, crying, 
she was washing out her eyes for like two hours, trying to get the pepper out, trying to get the pain away. And I felt terrible. I said, honey, I'm so sorry. I don't know how I could be, I don't know what I was doing. Will you please forgive me? And she was perfectly gracious. She said, yes, it's okay, I forgive you. It was an accident. I'm not mad at you. I'm not upset. It's okay. But I couldn't receive it, right? I didn't, that didn't make me feel better. I, I felt like she should be mad at me. Can you relate to this? So I said, honey, no, like, I'm sorry. You don't understand. I've hurt you. I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me? And she said, no, you don't understand. I forgive you. It's hard to receive unconditional love. But Paul gives us a gift in this chapter of Romans. He gives us a gift that helps us with this. And it's one word. It's in the first verse. It's the word justify. Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does this word justified mean? Because when you first, what does it mean? When you first hear it, it sounds as if it means you've been made perfect. Right? You've been cleaned up. You're not dirty anymore. But that's not what it means. Justified's literal translation mean literal definition means you have been declared righteous. Declared righteous. Not made righteous, declared righteous. You see, when you have faith in Jesus to save you, you've been justified by your faith. God says. This man, this woman is righteous. That's it. But God, they're still going to sin against you. Nope, they're righteous. But they're still going to cheat on you, God. Nope, they're righteous. As soon as you receive Jesus, his gift of his sacrifice of himself, you are declared righteous by the almighty God. And so this justification changes your identity from a beast to a prince or a princess, a righteous child of God. In spite of every sin you're going to commit every day the rest of your life, from that point on, from the time you trust Jesus, you have been declared righteous. So this is the call, the challenge from this sermon. The call to surrender. To trust God in your new identity, someone who's been justified, declared righteous. To allow his unconditional love to transform you, even when you cheat on him. So, brothers and sisters, I challenge you to surrender to the unconditional love that Jesus has for you, even when you cheat on him. Trust alone in Christ's blood that has changed your identity to that of someone who is justified, someone who is righteous. And as you surrender to this unconditional love that Jesus has for you, you will be transformed. Christ's bride has made herself ready. Let's pray.
Lord God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You have beautiful, sacrificial love for us. You have beautiful, unconditional love for us. And you are making a way for us to have intimate love with you, God. Safe in our Savior's arms. May this morning, the truth that you have spoken to us through your word, overcome our tendency to not receive your unconditional love. Let us rest in the truth that you have changed your identity, our identity. We surrender to you, God. Lord, I also want to pray over this morning's offering. God, that you would bless those who give, that by their generosity to give of the money that's really yours, that they would be blessed by you. Lord, we know that you always provide for us. So we pray that you would also bless the offering and multiply it, Lord. We trust in you and you alone. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.